We are in a series called Next, and today we're finishing this up because this series, we're talking about what it means to be on a mission for a lifetime, and there's different steps for each of us to take, and what we're talking about in this series is, I don't know that anybody was ever taught this, and it may be that in our immature faith or or just young in age, we have the impression that we equate spirituality with going to church. And those are not one and the same. Those are two different things totally. And that's especially problematic if you grew up in a church that was stiff and stuffy and maybe in your early years was boring. And you're thinking, if that's what it takes, I don't want to go to hell, I'll go. But that's about all that we have to give to that. But if you look in the New Testament and you see what it means to follow Jesus, you realize it's much more than that. It's not about coming to a building and having a a stuffy or a boring gathering at all. Following Jesus is an adventure. It's a mission of a lifetime. And of course, our worship should be vibrant as well, but it's more than just when we come together and worship. This idea, this mission is a journey, and this journey takes different steps, and it's a mission of purpose and passion and excitement That's been our call for us in this series, just what is your next step? Asking the question, because no matter where you are, young or old, new to the faith, long-time follower of Jesus, each of us has a next step. And so that's been our question, what is the next step? Because none of us can say we've arrived. None of us can say that we're there, that we've made it, because we haven't made it. We can all make another step. In week one of our series, you might remember we talked about The word explore, the idea that when Jesus came, he didn't expect us just to jump in without asking questions, exploring who he is. In fact, he would say to his followers, come and see. And he welcomed their questions. He taught like no one else taught. And that's why the following was so great. Sometimes we give the impression or maybe receive the impression that we're not supposed to doubt. We're not supposed to have questions. But Jesus never shied away from that. He wants us to have questions and ask those questions. And to see in Scripture when Jesus followed them, Him, He asked them, He invited them to explore. In fact, sometimes He would say, count the cost. There was a time, though, when He would say, come and see. And that changed to the end of His ministry where He changed the words to go and tell. Not just come and see. Not just keep it to yourself. Remember early in his years in his ministry, he would say, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. The time wasn't right yet. But then when the time was right, after his resurrection, after he came back to the grave, look in John 20, verse 21. He said this to his followers, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So as individual followers, and even as a church together, this is significant. This commitment that we're going to be not just a come and see church, we need to be a go and tell church, a go and tell follower. And that's for all of us. So we explore, we engage, we talked about that, and then we equip. There's been the first three steps. We'll do all these things, but today we're going to talk about what it means to expand. Because Jesus called us as followers of His... To take the gospel to our neighbor, to the ends of the earth. And that's how he described it, as being a journey, as being a mission, not being boring. In fact, as his followers, we are to storm the gates of hell. And that we're going to prevail against it as his church. 
You want an adventure? You want a mission? You want excitement? Well, then let's join him in this whole thought about storming the gates of hell and knowing that his power is going to be working through us. To me, that's pretty exciting. And that's the way he taught. That was the way he presented the mission. That was his call to be his follower, to ju do just that. And I think even today, he would challenge us to do the same thing, to reach out and to expand. In the 1960s, there was a preacher named Theodore Waddell, W-E-D-E-L, I think that's how you say his name. He was preaching for a church that was dying, but they didn't know it. It was a good church, had good facilities, had good programs, a lot of uh, ministries going on, but he knew something had to be done because they weren't reaching out, they weren't growing, they were not expanding. And what he knew is that if they didn't expand, if they didn't grow, if they didn't share the good news, it was only a matter of time. It was only a matter of time until that church would die. So he had to wake them up. He had to wake them up to the seriousness of the situation. But they didn't want to hear it. He wasn't sure if they would hear it. So he wrote a parable that captures the tragic irony that happens when a church stops expanding. Maybe you've heard it before. It's called the life-saving station. Let me take a moment and just read it to you. On a dangerous seacoast where the shipwrecks often occur, there was once a crude little life-saving station. The building was just a hut, and there was only one boat. But the few devoted members kept a constant watch over the sea with no thought for themselves. They went out day and night tirelessly searching for the lost. Some of those who were saved and various others in the surrounding area wanted to become associated with the station and give of their time and money and effort for the support of its work. New boats were bought, and the new crews were trained. This little life-saving station grew. Some members of the life-saving station were unhappy that the building was so crude and so poorly equipped. They felt that a more comfortable place should be provided as the first refuge for those who were saved from the sea, so they replaced the emergency cots with beds and they put better furniture in the enlarged building. Well, now the life-saving station became a popular gathering place for its members and they decorated it beautifully and furnished it exquisitely because they used it as sort of a club. Fewer members were now interested in going to sea on life-saving missions, so they hired lifeboat crews to do this work. The life-saving motif still prevailed in the club's decorations, and there was a miniature lifeboat in the room where the club initiations were held. About this time, a large shipwreck occurred off the coast, and the hired crews brought in boatloads of cold, wet, half-drowned people. They were dirty and thick, and some of them had black skin, some of them had yellow skin. The beautiful new club was in chaos, so the property committee immediately had a shower house built outside the club, where the victims of the shipwreck could be cleaned up before coming inside. At the next meeting, there was a split in the club membership. Most of the members wanted to stop the club's life-saving activities since there was this unpleasant and a hindrance to the normal social life of the club. But some of the members insisted upon life-saving as their primary purpose and pointed out that they were still called a life-saving station. But they were finally voted down and told that they wanted to save all the lives of various kinds of people who were shipwrecked in those waters. They could begin their own life-saving station down the coast. And they did. As the years went by, the new station experienced the same changes that occurred in the old. 
It evolved into a club and yet another life-saving station was founded. History continued to repeat itself and if you visit that seacoast today, you'll find a number of exclusive clubs along the shore. Shipwrecks are frequent in those waters, but most of the people drowned. That should be a valid concern for any church. Big, large, new, old, any church. That we keep our mission. That we remember why we're here. That we go from being a lifeboat, that we digress and to become a cruise ship. That we're here just for each other, to keep each other happy. And we start to think about what a nice facility we have. What good people we have as a part of our church. A lot of programs and ministries. We know how to make people happy. And the church, if we're not careful, can become all about that. And we tell stories about other people saving lives. We sing songs about saving lives. We teach Bible stories about saving lives. But we don't actually go out and save lives. This can happen to any church. And we want to be clear about this. God has given us a mission, an assignment, a purpose. But we are to be completely committed followers of Him. And part of that, if you remember, is not just the equipping like we talked about last week, but there's a word in there, discipling. Discipling. Well, I looked up discipling this week. I studied that. The word disciple, the word discipling, the word discipleship. Now, we're very familiar with the word disciple because that's used kind of interchangeably with those who would follow Jesus because that's what it means of a follower. Interestingly to me, the word discipleship never occurs in the Bible. But discipleship in this sense, the way the Bible does use discipling, like following, means that idea of, of you're following Jesus. How do you do that? And even you're helping others to follow Jesus. But there's a second meaning. This idea of helping others, there's a verb. In, in the New Testament, it's mathetuo. And that word there means you share the gospel. You share the good news so that others become a disciple. So you're teaching them about Jesus. A good example of this is in Acts 14, verse 21. It's at the bottom of your screen there. In the English Standard Version, when they preached the gospel to the city, they made many disciples and they returned to Lystra. The word about make disciples is that word, that Greek word that we just shared a moment ago. It means you convert them to Jesus. It's discipling. That's the term there. And what I want to do for our lesson today is give you an, an example in Scripture about how some friends did this very thing. How they brought their friend to Jesus. It's found both in Matthew chapter 9, Mark chapter 2, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. That's going to be our text. So if you want to read from your own Bible, you can open your Bibles there to Luke chapter 5. The verses are going to be on the screen as well. But look how the story opens. Luke says, One day as he was teaching, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. So Luke sets the stage here. Who's in attendance? The house is packed. And he tells us who came. People, these are the religious people. These are the people who've been studying about God all their lives. They've known about God ever since they were a child. We would use the phrase, they've been in church all their life. They grew up going to church. These are the ones who have packed the house. Look at verse 17. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles 
in the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Then verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, Jesus knows this man is a paralytic. And Jesus knows this man needs healing. I mean, he's on a mat right there in front of him. But Jesus also knows his greatest need is forgiveness of sins. So that he could have the promise of eternal life and not just walk in this life, but dance on the streets of gold. So he gives the man, not necessarily what he's asking for, what he really needs, forgiveness of sin. But he doesn't stop there. Look in verse 21. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus says to this man, look, so you'll know that I can, do, I can truly forgive sins. I'm going to do the obvious, the physical healing. And everybody saw that. Verse 25, immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. They had seen remarkable things today. They had gathered in this home to hear a teacher teach. This rabbi who speaks like no one else. And in the middle of that, the roof comes off. Debris is falling. And then lowers into this setting, this man who's a paralyzed man. And this teacher forgives his sin. Heals his physical ailment. The man gets up with his mat and walks out. Pretty incredible things. Not what you expect in a teaching session. Now, Mark tells us specifically there were four friends. Here's what I want to share, just as our outline. Three things I want you to grasp. You may have studied this passage many times, but I want us to grab three things that we notice from these four friends. The first is this. These four guys had compassion for someone in their life who was hurting. They had compassion for someone in their life who was hurting. It's not just giving money to some calls out there. This is someone they knew. Mark calls them friends. And they identify someone who has a need that only Jesus can meet. So they do something about it. And that's what expanding the kingdom really means. You realize that there are others that only Jesus can give them what they need. You know that. And so you do what needs to be done. We're here to serve. We're here to reach out. We're here to expand. And I want to make sure we're clear about this. Another one of those words in our mission statement is serving. And sometimes we think about, well, if I'm serving, if I'm keeping the nursery, if I'm a greeter, if I'm doing something at church, well, then I'm doing my part. Don't be so quick to check that box in your mind and say, I'm done for the week. Expanding doesn't happen necessarily when we gather together. In fact, that's what happens when we leave here. When you open your eyes to the friends around us, and say, I can do something to help those who need the Lord. Our mission is much more than that. It's when I go to work, or when I go to school, or when I'm driving down my neighborhood, when God puts people in my path, I can open my eyes and see these people in my life who are hurting. And I can do something about that. How different would our world be if we lived that way? 
If that was our mindset, a little bored at work these days, are you done with school? You ready for some excitement? What if you just adopted this mindset and said, every morning, I'm going on a mission for the Lord today. Lord, wherever you take me, I'm on your mission. Open my eyes, let me see people as you see people. Especially those who are hurting, those who only you can help. And let me bring them to Jesus. This is the mission we've been given. And it's tough for us because sometimes our nature, somebody's in trouble, somebody's, uh, it's messy, somebody's hurting. We think, you know, I'm not a nurse. I'm, I'm not, I don't know what they're going through. And we tend to go the other direction. We may avoid people who are in a mess. You think, well, my life is a mess in and of itself. Who am I to help somebody else? And so we don't go. We kind of go away. But you look in the Gospels, but we see these people going to the situation, helping him. So here's the story of a man who can't help himself. He needs his friends to help him. And his friends bring him to Jesus. So that's the challenge. Think this week. Identify some people in your life who are going through a difficult time. Remember our series on names? Just write their names down. Maybe it's someone who's lost a loved one or someone whose marriage is in trouble or maybe they've got a child who's going through a difficult time. Maybe they were let go from a job. Maybe they got some money issues. Maybe they received a recent diagnosis. Maybe they're in a crisis of faith. They're not sure what to do next. And then begin to pray that God would use you to reach out to them, to demonstrate His love to them. Because a lot of you know this, because this may be your story. It may be right in the middle of your pain and your struggle where somebody came and reached out to you. You weren't sure where to turn. You didn't know how to pray. You are about to give up on God. And somebody came in and said just the right thing. It was God working through them. There's a beautiful passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Paul says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Listen to that description of God. The Father of compassion, the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. You've been through it. And you know it. God knows it. And you've been comforted by Him. And now you are equipped to be able to help someone else. Remember last week in our study about how God shapes us and the equipping, the E was for experience. You've been through the experience. And sometimes that painful experience makes us change our ways and turn to God. We realize we can't do it on our own. That we do need Him. That He is the only way. What we see in the Gospels is that we are to step in. When we see someone who is hurting, it's an opportunity to demonstrate the love of God. Well, here's another thing I want us to see in these four friends. And this is key. They had faith that Jesus would make a difference. They had faith that Jesus would make a difference. I think this is the cool part. Look in verse 20. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, He said to the man, Your sins are forgiven. Whose faith is He talking about? Their faith. He's not talking about the paralyzed man's faith. He's talking about the friends' faith. We saw their faith. I love that because I think that can change the way we look at a situation, at an opportunity, at a challenge that's before us. That God can use your faith to work when they don't have faith. 
Or they're not sure about their faith. See, what would it look like if our faith was that way? Where we look for someone else or someone's situation and, and we say, we know, and we act because God is able. We know. God is able to do something for them. And we believe it so strongly that that's what propels us to get involved. Not to turn away, but to jump in. And maybe you relate to the story because you see yourself in this. Maybe you had a time or a season with little faith. Maybe that's where you are right now. Your faith tank is empty. And you're not sure where to turn. You're at worship, but maybe not feeling it. You're singing the songs, but it's just lip service. And maybe you're not even sure how to pray. But you're still here. And I'm glad you're still here. I'm glad you're still worshiping. Because I'm going to remind you that you are to let other people's faith help you during that time. That's what we see in this story. Now, we know you can't believe for somebody else. I'm not saying that. I don't think Luke is trying to tell this story so that that's the message we get. You cannot believe for someone else. But you can believe God can do something good for someone else. To give them exactly what they need. Paul talks about how our faith inspires each other and it helps each other to, to keep going. Look at Romans 1, verses 11 and 12. He says, I long to see you that so that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to make you strong. Remember we talked about spiritual gifts last week. And that is that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. When you see somebody else who's full of faith, you notice that. That encourages you. And in your moment of lack of faith or not sure about your faith, you see somebody else's faith, it does encourage you. That's what Paul is talking about here. That's why he makes the statement that you and I may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith and make a difference. You want to know who gets this? Maybe even better than we mature adults? I wonder if our children get this better than we do. Each week in Faith Farm, they do a time of praying, and they write their prayers down. Many of you volunteer in that wonderful ministry, and you know about the prayer patch and how they do this, and they write them down. Haley mentioned one this week by Luke Thomas. Here was his prayer, that the church, the church to inspire others to come. How do you inspire? When they see your faith. That's how you inspire them. You have the faith. You show them your faith. And that's what happened here. Jesus saw their faith. And then point number three. It's obvious. But notice this. They brought Him to Jesus. They didn't just tell Him about Jesus. They didn't just say, we're going and you ought to go. Or they didn't just say, hey, I've heard great things about Him and one of these days when you're up to it, you should check Him out. No. They went and grabbed him. They took him. They took him to Jesus. I can't help but wonder. The text doesn't tell us. But I can't help but wonder if there was any opposition by the paralyzed man. Ah, not today. You know, don't bother. You know, know, it's kind of uncomfortable for somebody to come and pick you up and take you somewhere. I wonder if he resisted a little bit. Oh, it's okay, guys. You just go without me. I'll go another day. I wonder if he resisted the effort. Because these guys... Even if he resisted, they weren't going to take no for an answer. Maybe he was ready to go. But notice here, they literally tear the roof off to get him to Jesus. And I love that spirit. Think if we had that kind of spirit. I'm going to do whatever it takes. 
tear the roof off. Because there's some things about this story that bother me. And maybe they bother you as well. For one, why did they have to go to the roof? We know it's packed. They couldn't get in. Luke tells us that. All these people are in there. And I think they're thinking what you and I often think is we go in it for ourselves. They wanted to hear this rabbi teach. So they got there early. They got the good seats. They filled up the room. They filled up the house. There was no room for anybody else. Even this man who's paralyzed, nobody's letting him in. That bothers me. Does that bother you? They would not move out of the way that the one who needed Jesus in many ways, physically and spiritually, they wouldn't let him in. That bothers me. So these friends take it to the roof. They will not be stopped. In the verse that I'm reading from, it says, through the tiles. I looked that up because typically in Palestine, the houses didn't have a tile roof. It was often mud and uh, clay and branches that would make the house roofs. And so it's explained by many commentators that that idea of through the tiles would be like us saying through the roof. Not necessarily talking about the construction material, but the idea they went through the roof. And this is not a skylight. This is not an opening. Like they, they made an opening where there wasn't one because they couldn't get in the way they should have been able to get into. And I thought about that as I was studying this week. I thought, what if it was in my den? And it was packed full of people. I mean, people sitting on the couch, behind the couch, sitting on the floor, sitting on the table, just crammed in there, couldn't get another person in. And you're sitting in that setting, and all of a sudden, debris starts falling. I would be bothered by that. If that was my house, if somebody came in, start taking my house apart and the debris starts falling and think about the people who are sitting there. Now the stuff is falling on them, no doubt. And then this body on this mat gets lowered down right where you're sitting. Now you got to get up anyway and give him the very seat because Jesus was, was, that's what's happening. And that bothers me watching all this. But what I love about this these four friends will not be stopped. They tried to go in the door. These people blocked them. They said, oh yeah? So they climb up on the roof and start tearing the roof apart because in their minds, it's worth it. It's worth it. They're not going to be stopped. And so as I read this story, I thought to myself, are you and I in the room with the debris, the dust falling on us? Or maybe we're in that spot where that bed's being lowered. And we had to get up and get in our spot. They didn't ask me. It sort of had to happen. Nobody asked you. Kind of rude if you think about it. Is it going to be distracted if we start bringing people to church? All kinds of people, different backgrounds, kind of messy, kind of dirty, not like us? Absolutely. Is it worth it? You bet it's worth it. Here's the question, and here's how we close. Are we going to be a lifeboat? Are we going to be a lifeboat? Or are we going to be a cruise ship? Is it all about us? Or have we forgotten our mission? Are we here to entertain, make people comfortable? Or are we here to rescue? You know, sometimes we think it's just too big. What can I do? I don't know enough. I don't know enough people. I don't know enough Bible. I don't know anything. How can God use me? I'm scared. I think it can feel intimidating and overwhelming, even frustrating to dream about how God could use each of us. 
So we don't even know where to start. I think I have an answer for you there. You start by taking your next step. Whatever your next step is, you take it. For each of us are trying to be faithful to what God has called us to do. And that may be for you, just praying every morning before you start your day, God, open my eyes that I can see people as souls created in your image who Jesus died on the cross to save. And then look for a way to bring them to Jesus. To be His mouthpiece. To invite them to church. To do something kind. Just to show them the Spirit. In some way, let them know about Jesus. So that's the invitation. For you to take your next step. Maybe for you, it's for your own salvation. To confess that Jesus is Lord. That He is the Son of God. Let Him make you a new creation in baptism. Or maybe for you, it's, it's to change your prayer life, your outlook. Maybe to be like these friends and say, I've got some people in my life who are hurting. And they don't have faith right now, but I can have faith for them. For God to work in their life. And I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm not going to give up. Because God wants them saved and I want them saved. It makes me wonder what God would do through each of us this week if we live that way. Let's pray. God, as we talk about this idea of, of reaching out, of expanding, we need your help. Because sometimes we like, it, we like to be comfortable. And we often just think of ourselves and focus on our own needs and our own challenges and our own struggles, even our own shortcomings. And we feel like, I'm not the one. But God, You are calling each of us to be a part of a mission where we don't just receive, but we give to the young and the old, for the men, the women, for all of us. Because we know, we see in the Gospels how You used everyone, the children, the women, these great men of faith, the least of these, to show us Jesus. God, would you help us as a church to be about that? To call us out when we get caught up in ourselves and making each other comfortable and begins to feel more like a club than a life-saving station? We need help. We need to be convicted of this. And we need to rely on your power to work through us because we know it's not in our own ability. It's through you. And God, we need faith. We need faith like these four men that you would be willing to work through us. Help us to be obedient together and expand the kingdom for your glory. It's through Jesus we pray. Amen.